Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Thursday broadcast of Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett with Hickory Ridge Community Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. I so appreciate you listening today. I want to thank you for spending the time, 26 minutes that we have on this broadcast, and it's a great opportunity to get to know each other, great opportunity for us to learn a few things from God's Word. And so today, I want to talk to you about a doctrine. It's called the Doctrine of Suffering. I don't know if you realize it, but there's a condition that is called congenital insensitivity to pain. One day a girl who had this condition was in her kitchen and she was stirring up some ramen noodles that were cooking on the stovetop. When the spoon slipped into the water, she put her hand into this pot of boiling water and pulled out the spoon. She told her mom what happened. Her mom was in the next room folding clothes and without thinking, Ashley Blocker reached her hand right in to retrieve that spoon and took her hand out of the water and stood in the kitchen and washed cold water over it and called out to her mother and says, I just put my hand into the boiling water. Her mother, Tara, dropped the clothes, rushed to her daughter's side and says, oh my Lord, after 13 years, that same old fear. She got some ice and placed it gently against her daughter's hand, relieved that the burn wasn't worse than she expected. I showered her and I told her how she should retrieve the spoon out of boiling water. You need to think about that. We think of pain usually as a bad thing, but for Ashley Blocker, pain would be a good thing. It would tell her when there's something wrong. You know, fewer than 700 people have that condition called congenital insensitivity to pain. And doctors have discovered that it's actually a mutation of the DNA and it's zeroing on the SCN9A. That part of the DNA is what senses pain and tells our brain that we're sensing pain at a particular part of our body. It's a natural thing. It's a good thing to happen so that if we have something hot or something sharp uh, up against us, our brain tells us to pull away from it. Even internally, when we go through times of pain, uh, it sends messages to our brain. And so pain is not always a bad thing, but sometimes it's a really good thing. But maybe you're asking, well, what's the purpose of suffering? You know, I want you to know that suffering teaches patience. Although most people consider patience to be a passive waiting, maybe gentle tolerance, as we look at the Greek word patience in the New Testament, it's much more of an active word. It's not a passive word. It's kind of a robust word. And for example, in Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded with a great cloud of witness, let us throw off every weight and every sin that so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So that word patience is not a passive thing. Uh, it's determination. It's a matter of persistence. As we look at James chapter 5, and we see examples of patience and suffering, he says, dear brothers and sisters, he says, look at the prophets. Remember how the prophets spoke in the name of the Lord and we gave them great honor. Why did we give them great honor? Because they were patient and they endured suffering. For example, Job, a man of great endurance. And as you look throughout scripture, we discover that there are many men and women who who really had this perseverance about them, they had this patience about them, and suffering revealed and built that patience. So here's some reminders about suffering. Let's not be surprised by it. Let's realize it's going to happen. Now, let's be surprised if it doesn't happen, right? Uh, don't be surprised when it does happen. Really, we should be surprised when it doesn't happen. And let's also be not surprised by it, but let's be sanctified through it. You know, God wants us to be holy, and this, this trying of our faith produces this perseverance, which is a form of holiness. 
So, so Peter here is, is reminding us that, that since Jesus suffered, the righteous for the unrighteous, we should also expect to suffer. Now, if you're a parent, you understand, you make sacrifices for your children, you sacrifice and you suffer for your children. You don't want your children to go through the same hardships that you went through. But there's some things that your children cannot learn until they personally experience it. When it comes to this matter of suffering, prepare yourself for it so that you'll not be surprised by it. Also, teach your children to be prepared for it. You know, one of the things you can do to help your children prepare for suffering is not bail them out of everything that they get themselves in trouble with. And sometimes I realize I help my kids more when I help them less. And sometimes if we help our kids too much, we soften them too much and they can't handle the difficulties when they come along their way. Paul says this about suffering. He's writing to the Galatian believers and he says, I'm really astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. Why does Paul say this? Paul says this because they were facing difficulty. And then when the difficulty came, all of a sudden, they began deserting the gospel, deserting him, deserting others who are followers of Christ. Now, now as a pastor, I've got to say, this is kind of disappointing. I, I had a guy one time says, well, I'm leaving the church. I said, why are you leaving the church? He said, I don't feel comfortable. You don't feel comfortable. Uh, so to me, that's the reason to stay in the church, because if you're only feeling comfortable, uh, there's a problem, right? As a matter of fact, the Bible warns against being in a place where your ears are constantly tickled, right? Now, sometimes God wants us to be uncomfortable. So don't be surprised when suffering comes our way. It's God's way of teaching us perseverance. Well, I want to ask you a question. Are you becoming more like Christ through suffering? So let's not be surprised by suffering. Let's not be scared of it. Let's be secure through it by living for God in the midst of pressure. This is what we learn from 1 Peter chapter 4. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse upon you. So Peter is writing, and, and he's writing, and he, he, he personally understands what it's like to suffer. And Peter is at this point where he's learned to trust God in the times of suffering, in the times of pressure. Now, we're not sure exactly how and when Peter learned this. I kind of guess that Peter learned this maybe that day he stepped out of the boat. Remember, he stepped out of the boat and he was walking across the water to Jesus. And then all of a sudden, this wind comes up, this storm comes up, and Peter gets his eyes off Jesus. He starts looking at the storm and he was afraid and then he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. I think it's at that point where Peter says, you know what? When the pressure comes my way, when I'm scared, I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to trust him in the middle of the storm when the pressure comes my way. As a matter of fact, Jesus does reach out and stretches his hand to Peter, and he says something to Peter that we don't really expect Jesus to say to him. Jesus says, Peter, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So I want to ask you, what fear is God trying to teach you to overcome through your suffering? You know, one of the ways we know that we're doing the right thing is by the reaction of those who live reckless, wild lives. We learn that through those who live contrary to Christ, contrary to his word, 
They are satisfied to live recklessly and they heap abuse upon those who do not share their values. Now, this is a huge double standard. We, we know this is true, but we try not to let that scare you, right? Our, our security doesn't come from being suffering free. Our security comes from being sin-free and being in relationship with Christ. Many Americans have a fear of speaking. As a matter of fact, uh, 85% of Americans say they have some level of fear of speaking. It's always near the top of the list. Where does this come from? It really, it comes from an insecurity, a people pleaser. You know, we go from people pleaser to people hater. We go vacillate back and forth. And, and, you know, for many years, I had this fear of public speaking. As a matter of fact, when I was in high school, I had to repeat my English grade, my freshman English year twice because uh, I refused to do a, a public presentation and it was a large portion of my grade. And, and because I took a zero for not doing the public presentation, I failed the class. Why was I so worried about being in front of people? Because I was trying to, and I was worried about the approval of men. Well, look what Paul says about the approval of man. He says, am I trying to win the approval of people or of God? If I'm trying to approve the people, I wouldn't be a Christ servant. So in my life, I've learned I only have one person that I really need to please. That one person is Christ. He's my creator. You only have one person to please. The one who made you and the one who has given you purpose for your life. That kind of simplifies things enormously. You only need one person's approval, God's. So when I get in front of people now to speak, I realize I'm speaking to really an audience of one. My goal is to please God. I figure if he's happy with me, it doesn't really matter if anybody's not happy with me. Jesus said this, John 5, 30. And Jesus himself said this. Now, this is pretty powerful when you think about it. He says, I don't try to please myself, but I try to please the one who sent me. He's referring to his father who sent him. You see, I'm living for an audience of one. You may have never realized this, but people-pleasing is a form of idolatry. You know, the first of the Ten Commandments is this, don't have any other gods before me. Anything you put before God becomes a god, a small letter G God. So a boat could be your god. A career could be your god. A girlfriend could be your god. A spouse could be your god. Your family could be your god. Sports and entertainment and food could be your god. Anything that becomes number one in your life that isn't God becomes your god. So the second commandment is kind of like the first, don't have any other gods before me, but the second, don't make any idols. Anything that replaces God in your life is an idol. Success can be an idol. Money can be an idol. Sex can be an idol. A relationship can be an idol. If that relationship to your girlfriend, your wife, your spouse, your friends is more important than God, it is an idol. So we've learned so far that we shouldn't be surprised by suffering. We should be scared of suffering. Number three, let's not be suppressed by it. Let's be settled through it. You see, God is the ultimate judge. Those of you who have been listening for, for a while know that I have a son that has autism, and, and that has created some unique challenges to us as a family. I have finally got to the point in my life, and you're going to think this is really strange, that I thank God for autism because if it wasn't for autism, I wouldn't learn a lot of the things that I know today. Now, I don't thank God for, uh, for allowing Seth to have autism, but I thank God that autism has taught us so many things. Oftentimes, my son will have a meltdown, and I used to be very unsettled about that, and it used to really work me up that he's having a meltdown, but I've kind of learned to say, okay, God, you've got this. You're in control. 
And instead of losing my myself uh, in that whole situation, I said, okay, what should I do? Let me be really calm. Let me just trust the Lord to get me through it. You know, he has sustained me all of these years. For the last six, seven years, uh, Seth has been having these meltdowns. And, and uh, so I just kind of said, okay, I'm going to do the best I can with it. And then I pray for him. Well, I want you to know it's been almost two weeks since he's had a meltdown, which is a record around my house. And so I thank the Lord for small little things in our lives. First Peter 4 says, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirits. Now, Peter has given us an overview, and he's basically saying, humans judge humans, but God judges us in the long run. God is going to be the ultimate judge. So how is my faith more settled through suffering? It should settle you down when you go through times of suffering. It should drive you to the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, here's another question I want to look into in the, in the remaining moments of the broadcast today. And the question is, why should suffering or what should suffering accomplish in my life? Well, let me give you several things here that suffering should accomplish. Number one, suffering should make me more prayerful. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and be sober of mind so that you may be able to pray. Peter's saying, you know, this pressure that you're feeling because of suffering. It's an indication that the end of all things is near. Because the end of all things is near, because we see persecution rising, we should be alert and sober of mind and pray. Listen, suffering will drive you to the knees because when you're suffering, you don't have all the answers. You don't understand why everything is happening. And so it just drives you to your knees. Here's the second thing that suffering will accomplish in your life. It will make me more practical. 1 Peter 4 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. In other words, when we are going through a hard time, God sends somebody into our lives. God sends somebody with a gift of grace so that we can make it through those difficult times. Somebody has a gift of hospitality. And as we look at the gifts that God gives us, he gives it to us so that we can minister to one another when they're going through times of suffering. You know, my son spent 30 days in a hospital up in Connecticut, and I was just so overwhelmed by the love of my church and the love of my small group. And, and they sent... Uh, uh, they sent cards and they sent gift cards and they sent meals and they, they gave us money, making a trip back and forth uh, every week to Connecticut. I was just overwhelmed with the, the hospitality and the love of God's people. You see, when you go through times of suffering, life becomes more practical. You, you separate out the things that don't really matter and you focus on the things that really do. There's a third thing that that suffering will accomplish in your life, and it also not only make you more prayerful, not only make you more practical, but it'll make you more perceptive. Peter says this, if anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. 
What is Peter telling us here? Peter is telling us that God has given us the ability to speak into the lives of people when they're going through times of suffering. God gives us the ability to serve others when they're going through times of suffering. God gives us the strength to provide for the needs of others as they're going through times of suffering. God allows us to be perceptive as the things that are happening around us as we go through times of suffering. God is praised through Jesus Christ when we go through times of suffering because it puts us in tune with God. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers to us in our time of pleasure, but he shouts to us in our times of pain. You see, somebody in a lot of pain has learned to pray really hard. A choice that is being made is, is not maybe a very good choice, and so the pain reveals that I shouldn't make that choice. You know, I've seen a miracle from a heart that is determined to go in one direction, a heart that is focused on the Savior. G.K. Chesterton said, Meaningless comes not from being weary of pain, but from being weary of pleasure. Job had some friends that tried to help him during his times of trouble. Seven days and a night, he listened to these friends, and these friends were kind of friends that you wonder, if you have friends like that, who needs enemies, right? Job's friends were, were really taking truth and wrongly applying it. I remember that guy by the name of Eliphaz. Eliphaz basically said he, he gave Job three speeches in Job chapter 4. Uh, we can kind of summarize up those speeches. And, and Eliphaz basically says, you know what, Job? You are reaping what you've sown. You know, you've given a lot of help out to a lot of people. Uh, and you've given a lot of advice to a lot of people. But now look at your own life. <laughs> Job 4, 7 and 8. They say, I've seen people plow fields and fields of evil and plant wickedness like seed. Now they harvest wickedness and evil. In other words, Job, you've been planting some evil and wicked seeds in your life for a long time, and now it's harvest time. In other words, you're bringing all this this trouble upon yourself. Well, that was great, Eliphaz. Thanks a lot, Eliphaz. I like how Job replies. Uh, Job says, in trouble like this, I need some loyal friends. (laughs) Unlike you, right? I need some loyal friends who, who have never forsaken God. Well, then it was Bildad. Bildad basically said, well, God's punishing you. Just go ahead and and repent. As we think about the the message from Bildad, uh, he was upset, and uh, he he didn't understand all that was going on, but he says, you know, God is upset with you too, and and he's trying to to get you to repent, and and why don't you just hurry up and repent, Job, and get all the suffering over? And, and, And Bildad totally misrepresented God. When you think about suffering and you think about being punished for your sin, Listen, in eternity, if you reject Christ, you will suffer for your sins and that you'll be totally separated from God. Well, then it was Zophar. And, and, and Zophar's message, we don't have too much recorded from, from Zophar's little speech, but his message basically was saying, you know, God knows the real you. You look good on the outside, uh, but, you know, God knows you're hiding something, Job. And, and why don't you hurry up and bring it to the surface? Stop hiding that sin uh, was the message of Zophar. And then, then it was Elihu. Elihu was angry at Job. Elihu is an example of a self-righteous person. It says in Job 32, there was a bystander by the name of Elihu, and he could not control his anger any longer. Matter of fact, he waited for 32 chapters to speak up, and finally he says, you know, I've I've listened long enough. I'm going to tell you what I think. And as we look at his response, we discover that he was angry toward Job and angry toward his friends. And he says, that Job was going through this time 
because Job was not right with God. Elihu was actually a, a prideful young man who said a lot of things, but was very pompous, very self-righteous. He was the last one to speak. He was the youngest to speak, the most inexperienced to speak, and the rudest to speak. The summary of his message is, all y'all got, was, got it wrong. All your other friends there, you guys are wrong. Job is in trouble because he's far from God. You know, it's an amazing fact. Did you know that the longest list of questions found in the Bible is made up of questions asked by God in Job chapters 38 and 39? God poses a, a whole list of questions, query after query, asking Job his servant and giving these questions with answers that are, are, are answered later in the text. As we look at suffering, you know, God is looking at Job and talking to Job as a parent would talk to a child, and he asks, can you bind a cluster of, of the stars in the skies? Can you loose the belt around the Orion? Can you guide that great bear with its cubs? God asked Job question after question in order to remind him that his ways are often beyond our understanding. You know, some people try to melt down God and put him in a test tube so they can define him and understand him. Uh, but this is a major mistake. The Bible says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. God doesn't speak to Job for 38 chapters. And finally, God does speak. In Job 42, verse 7, God says, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you did not speak the truth about me the way my servant Job did. You know, the author of the New York Times column, David Brooks, talks about suffering. And I don't know that David Brooks is a believer, but what he says makes a lot of sense when he talks about the calling and the purpose of suffering. He says, people, people who have suffered most always have this sense of calling. When people lose a child, they don't say, well, I had two years with low pleasure. I should compensate by going to a lot of parties so I can get high on pleasure and, and I can balance off my hedonistic accounts. They do not say they want to turn suffering into holiness, so they create a foundation. Or they transform their lives. People don't heal from suffering. They come out changed. You see, suffering will do one of two things to you. It'll make you better or make you bitter. Hebrews 12.15 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, see to it that nobody misses the grace of God. So you can miss the grace of God. It is possible to miss the grace of God. Don't miss the grace of God, because if you do, our root of bitters will spring forth and defile many. If you're listening to me today, I know you've been through some difficult times. Everyone who has been born of woman goes through difficult times. The question is not, will I go through difficult times? The question is, how will I respond in the midst of these difficult times? We're going through a study called Prodigal God by Timothy Keller, and it looks at two brothers, the younger brother and the older brother. For years, I thought that parable was all about that younger brother, the prodigal son, who, who went out and, and, he, and he took the father's inheritances and he lives a riotous life and he loses all of his money. He loses his self-respect. He finds himself in a pig pen as a Jew of all places. And he would longed to eat anything from the pig pen, but it wasn't offered to him. 
He comes to his senses. He runs home and and he begins his confession speech. He never quite finishes it. The father welcomes him home, has a party for the son, and says, welcome home. And maybe the reason I've always identified with the younger son for, for many years, I was that prodigal. I was running from God, and, and yet uh, God was patient with me. But the parable really is not primarily about the younger brother. It's about the self-righteous older brother who stood out and was ticked off that the younger brother was having a celebration, having a party. The father goes to the older brother and says, you know, we should have done this because this my son was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. Come and enjoy the celebration. But the older brother would not go in. You see, two sons were separated from the father. One while he was living in a pig pen and one while he was living outside of the house of the father, but they both needed forgiveness. They both needed to hear from the father, you are forgiven, but they both had to receive that forgiveness. Salvation is a gift that must be received. Today, if you haven't received God's forgiveness, today is the day that you can call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how much difficulties you've been through. It doesn't matter how many good times you've had. Everyone needs the Savior. Call upon the name of the Lord today and you will be saved. Now listen, if I can help you, please text me or call me at 252-267-2365. I'd love to pray with you. Love to respond to your text. I look forward to hearing from you. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.